Hey, Northridge family. I am, I am so excited this weekend because we're kicking off our unforgettable summer series, and we have the privilege of doing it with just a wonderful and gifted communicator named Albert Tate. He is the pastor of Fellowship Monrovia out of Southern California, and he's on the board of trustees for a very well-known school, Azusa Pacific, and he communicates all around the United States. And this year, at something Northridge is actually hosting in August, he's speaking at the Global Leadership Summit. And so I just want you to help me to give a very, very warm welcome to Northridge, Albert Tate. Hey, hey, hey. What's happening, y'all? Oh, man, so good to be here. If I was back home in Mississippi, I'd say it like this. I am peacock proud and hyena happy to be here with y'all today. I tell you, shout out to Brighton, who's live, who's checking us out. What a blessing you have to get me in full screen, all this beautiful black goodness, just <laughs> beautiful black goodness on the screen. That full shot. Go ahead, get that, girl. Go ahead. Go on. Go ahead, get that side. Oh, okay. Okay. Hey. So, yo, I, I, if you can't tell, I am just so glad to be here. Uh, although, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I feel a little pressure. Like, my first time here, the title of the series is Unforgettable. Like, no pressure, right? Like, what if it's forgettable? Like, what happens? Like, so, other than that, I mean, it's great. I've never preached in front of a roller coaster before. So, that's exciting. Um, and, and a Ferris wheel. So, at the end of the service, I'm going to go jump on that thing and let's just test it out. Let's just see if it can really hold a brother, you know. So, but I, I'm so glad to be here and so excited to jump into God's Word with you today. Uh, he, here's the deal, though. I, I'm doing something a little risky. I, I'm, I'm taking you to a very familiar passage of Scripture. If you are, if you grew up in church, or if you've been around church for a little while, you know this passage. If you're new to church, um, th then this is a great passage for you to become acquainted with. But for those of you that have been around, I, I, I'm just, I've just got to apologize. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a risk because the risk is. Uh, once you hear it, you'll be, man, I've been there, done that, I've heard that passage, and you will check out on me prematurely, prematurely. But my prayer in my heart is that God would speak to us and give us all fresh eyes and fresh ears to see, hear, and experience these ancient words again for the first time in a very new and fresh way. With that said, if you have your Bibles, would you meet me in the book of John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 3, verse 16. Hear these words of our Father. Now, I grew up in a black holiness church down in Mississippi, so I learned the King James Version at five years old, so who I affectionately refer to as King Jimmy. So, so forgive me as I quote from the King James Version if you have a different translation that you're reading from. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son <laughs> that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but in fact have everlasting life. I'll say it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, let's pray together. 
Father, I thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray that you would speak to us now. Would you, would you tune our ear to your voice so that we might hear you, God, ever so clearly? God, would you turn our hearts toward you so that we might experience the fullness of all that you have for us? God, it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us say, know, and do. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. Have your way in this great church today. In Jesus' name. Every heart said amen. amen. When I moved to Southern California, we live right outside of Los Angeles. When we moved there, my wife and I moved there 10 years ago. 10 years ago, when we moved there, we have no kids or anything. As a matter of fact, Matter of fact, we got pregnant our first two weeks in California. We have no cable or internet hooked up, and that's just kind of what happened, y'all. I'm just going to tell you. So, so from then on, whenever we moved into a new house, we said the cable and internet got to be on first. So, you know, three kids later, we finally figured out that that's what the problem was. Uh, so, so that first year, y'all, new baby, new job, new city. We, I, anniversary time is coming up, and I had to get my wife something good. I knew I needed to get my wife something good for anniversary. So I called my pastor friends in California since they've been there for a while. I was like, man, I'm new to California. Tell me, what do you do when you want to, you know, when you want to hook your wife up? You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm sorry, hook your wife up. When you want to bless her in abundance in a way that supersedes what is normally your <laughs> operation method. Um, hook your wife up, you know. So, so how do you hook your wife up? They said, Albert, oh, that's a no-brainer. You got to take your wife to Tiffany's. I said, who is Tiffany? They said, oh, no, 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 Albert, it's a story. You got to go to Tiffany's. So, you know, I was like, okay, cool. Let me check it out. So, y'all, I walk into Tiffany's. I see the price. I walk back out. I say, is there a Tasha or a Tamika I can go see? Is there a Tanya or somebody? Because I can't, I can't afford Tiffany. I can't hang. Tiffany is too much for your boy. I can't, I can't get with Tiffany. They said, Albert, 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 you got to go to Tiffany. Just go. Because when your wife sees a blue box from Tiffany's, she's going to go crazy. I said, well, why didn't you tell me that? Hey, Tiffany, give me one of them boxes, girl. Give me a box. Give me a box. I go to Dollar General, put something in it. It'd be all good. You know what I mean? Give me a box. It's a, I said, okay, Albert, don't be that guy, so just go. And I, so, so I said, I'm going to check it out. So I'm walking around the store, and I'm in the store, y'all, and y'all ever been in the store you ain't got no business being in? Like, you ain't got no business being up in here. Like, I'm up in here. My ATM card is laughing at me in my wallet. <laughs> my ATM is like, what are, what are we doing up in here? You, you taking pictures to send to somebody or something? Because the only thing we can take out of here is a picture. <laughs> I'm looking around, and I got comfortable. I, I even asked the lady, could I see something? I don't know what I was thinking. I, I asked the lady, could I see it? Look on the thing. It says $12,000. I couldn't say what I was thinking. What I was thinking was, have you lost your mind, lady? That's what I wanted to say, but I, I, I couldn't say that. So I said, you know, let me, she may like it in a different color. Let me keep looking around. Let me keep looking around. Because y'all know what I'm looking for, right? I'm looking for the clearance rack. I'm looking... I'm looking for the sales section, you know what I mean? I'm looking, looking for the stuff that's broke that they selling half off. You know, y'all ain't got something like that up in Tiffany's, you know? So I'm looking around, and I finally found a little a bracelet that had a little trinket on it. A little, little, little Tiffany's bracelet had a trinket on it. 
and I got it. I did it. I got it. I bought it. 18 more payments, it's, we own it. It's ours. It's almost. So I got it, got it packaged up, got it in the blue box, and I'm about to give it to my wife. And I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell you the truth. I want a response. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't give gifts for a response. But listen, let me tell you something. I want a response. And I don't want no little regular response. No, I, I want tears, woman. I want tears. I, and I don't even want regular tears. I want, like, I want the ugly cry. I want the snot bubble. I want that... I, I want the ugly cry. You know that asthmatic cry when you got a can you can't breathe out. <laughs> I, w- I want one of them. I, I want a response. Well, you know, I pull out the box, y'all, and as soon as she saw the box, she immediately—I mean, immediately—tears started coming down, and I started saying, "Baby, you ain't even opened the box yet. Open the box. Wait till you see what's in the box." She opens the box, and y'all. I mean, I'll I just, I just say, it was a good night. It was a good night. You know, it was a good night. I don't, you know, I don't want to be inappropriate or anything with innuendo, but let me just say, okay, 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 Brighton, okay, okay. It was a good night. So I, I learned something. I, I, I learned something. There's a principle that that taught me. Every great gift demands a great response. Every great gift demands a great response. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave us the greatest gift that could ever be given. He gave us a gift that transforms our heart. He gave us a, a gift that, that renews our mind. He, he gave us a gift that keeps on giving. It springs up into eternal life. He, he gave us a gift that gives hope, that gives new life, new destiny, new purpose, new meaning. He gave us a gift that redeems, re- revives, restores, renews. He gave us the greatest gift that could ever be given. And the question that I want to put on the table is what's your response to the gift? How will you respond? How are you responding to the greatest gift that has ever been given? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He, he so loved the world. He loved us. He loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son to come to set us free so that we might live. He loved us so much that he sent his only son to come and set us free. It's, it's kind of like, kind of like a story in my, a pastor friend of mine tells, uh, Glake Hill. Glake Hill uh, tells a story of him. He's sitting and he's watching TV in, in his living room and he's enjoying the game. He's watching a game and his son is playing out in the backyard and he gets stuck in the monkey bars. He gets stuck in the monkey bars and his son is literally screaming, Daddy, Daddy, I'm stuck! Daddy, Daddy, I'm stuck! And Glake, hearing this, does what any compassionate father does who's watching the game when his child starts screaming. He says, Huh? What? 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 Huh? So, so, so his son is, Daddy, Daddy, I'm stuck. So Glake, Glake tries to, tries to instruct him out. Uh, move your leg. Turn to the left. Turn to the right. 
Now dip, baby, dip. No, I'm sorry, that's the song. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is, no, he did that. He tried, to const- he tried to instruct him out, but that didn't work. He's still, daddy, daddy, I'm stuck. He's still stuck. Then he tries to encourage him out. Uh, you can do it. Oh, come on, son, one more time. Give it another try. Daddy, daddy, I'm stuck. Still stuck. Didn't work. Then, then, then he tries to condemn him out. Well, what was you doing out there anyway? Didn't I tell you about messing around out there, you know? Condemnation didn't work either. Daddy, daddy, I'm stuck. So finally, Glake had to get up off his couch, go outside, and there, yeah, you stuck. Yeah, you, you stuck. To, he's so stuck, Glake had to literally climb, get down in the handlebars, in the, in the monkey bars, detangle his boy, get him unstuck, and then literally had to carry him out of the monkey bars so now he could be set free. Y'all, y'all, y'all see where I'm going with this? If you, if you get it early, I won't have to preach as long, y'all. Okay. Okay. For God so loved the world that he sent his son from his home in glory. He got up and he didn't try to instruct us out, try harder, do better. He didn't, he didn't try to encourage us out, keep up. He didn't try to condemn us out, but he came to bring us out. He came down on earth and he saw that we were held captive in the monkey bars of this world. Sin had us tangled, had us confined, had us captured, but Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross. They put nails in his hands. The blood came streaming down. He was dead all night Friday night, all night Saturday night. But early Sunday morning, he got up with all power to step into our world, to unstuck us and get us set free so that we might be set free. Jesus Christ came to set us free. He came to set us free. And who the Son set free is free indeed. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son in this world. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in our Son, he loved us so much that he sent his Son to set us free. Here it is. So that if we would just believe in him, believe, believe, believe in him. Belief is, belief is more than just the... The, the, the coming to a conclusion in your mind on thought. It, it, it's more than the ascent of the mind. It, it's more than the ascent of the mind. It's more than just what you think in your head and your cognitive state. It, it, it's more than that. Belief is also more than the consent of the will. It, it, it's more than you just changing your behavior. It, it, it's more than you just, just, just changing what I do. It's more than you consenting your will over to God. No, no, no. Belief is more than the, is more than the ascent of the mind. It's more than the consent of the will. Belief is culminated in the ultimate position of the reclining of your heart. It's, it's more than the ascent of your mind, it's more than the consent of your will, but it is ultimately belief is the reclining, the reclining of your heart, your ability to rest and recline in who God is and what God has done. Uh, y'all not getting it, let me say it another way. 
it, it kind of reminds me of my granddaddy. My granddaddy was a preacher for 40 years, uh, a pastor, strong man, confident man. But my granddaddy was a short dude. He was real short, but he used to always drive these big old cars. And sometimes I used to wonder, does he get a big old car to overcompensate for being so short? I don't know. But he, he'd drive Cadillacs and not these little cute Cadillacs you can put in your back pocket. No, 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 no. He drove a Cadillac when a Cadillac was a Cadillac. My granddaddy's car started at that back wall back there and came all the way back back here. I'm talking about a car. You couldn't drive it like this. You had to drive it like this. You know what I mean? Like you was driving it. You was almost like doing the nay-nay. You was like, nay-nay. Okay, I'm sorry. But, but I mean, I mean he, he, so... So I'll never forget, we're driving cross country, and he does the unthinkable. He looks at me, my, my name is Albert, and I'm a junior, uh, so my family calls me junior, but my granddaddy couldn't get the extra energy for the second syllable, so he just called me June. He said, he said June, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shut my eyes, and I'm gonna let you drive. So, you know, I'm a young kid. I get up, my grandmother's sitting right here, my granddaddy getting the back, cousin in the back seat. So I get up and I'm driving, y'all, and I'm driving this thing. I'm, watch me whip, watch me nana. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. So, I'm, so I'm driving, and y'all, I've been driving now, you know, I don't know, 35, 45 seconds. And, and he says, uh, June, uh, son, Speed this thing up, boy. We want to get there for sunrise. I said, yes, sir, granddaddy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm driving another 25, 35 seconds. He said, uh, June, but boy, slow this thing down. We ain't running no race, son. I said, oh, okay, granddaddy. I'll slow it down, you know. Man, another 15, 20 seconds. June, by this time, my grandmother, I could feel her getting irritated in her sanctified soul. I could just, just feel... She, she, she leans over, she turns over, she leans over, she says, Oh, I thought you said you was going to shut your eyes. <laughs> See, my granddaddy, in his mind, he had stopped driving. In his will, he'd given me the keys, he decided not to drive. Uh, but in his heart, he was still driving. The idea of belief is more than just you giving your mind over. It's more than you changing your behavior, but it's when in your heart you say, I rest and I recline in Jesus Christ and his ability to drive better than my ability to backseat drive. It's when you rest in him, when you rest in him. Now, I can just hear some of you, some of you, you've got what I call a, um, a divine uh, spiritual gift of backseat driving. Uh, so, I mean, my wife got a double portion of it. She got a double portion. It's, it, it, it's a spiritual gift. It must be because it, it, it must be because it, it's, it just divinely flows out of her. She just has a divine ability to give instruction when she's not driving. It must be. I don't know if it's found in the book of Ephesians. It's more like a revelation gift, more like a kind of like dragons and tigers and bears. Oh, my. It's kind of like one of those, you know. My wife, I'm just telling, and sometimes, you know, I'm not prepared for her spiritual gift. I don't know how to really appreciate it. I need, I need to take a class. I don't, you know, I, don't, I struggle with receiving it. You know what I mean? I struggle with receiving it. I can tell nobody in here is married to anybody with that spiritual gift. I can tell by the way you're looking at me right now because you like. 
I can tell, I can tell, I can tell, I can tell. Sometimes, y'all, you got to pray for me because I got to catch myself because my mouth moves quicker than my brain. You know what I mean? And I'll just say, like my wife the other day, exercising her gift, she says, I never forget, she says, ain't that the turning lane? And before I could catch myself, I said, ain't that the passenger seat? <laughs> now, now, to her credit, when we got to the house, she said, ain't that the couch? Touche, my dear, touche, you got me. I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes I wonder if Jesus is peering over the balcony of heaven, the, the, peering over the, the balcony of heaven, looking at you and I saying, uh, I thought you said you was going to shut your eyes and trust me. I thought you were going to shut your eyes and trust me with the kids. I, th I thought you were going to trust me with the marriage. I thought, you, I thought you was going to trust me with your education. I thought you were going to trust me with the finances. I thought you were going to trust me with the pornography addiction. I thought you were going to trust me with the insecurities. I thought you was going to trust me with the eating disorder. I, th I thought you were going to shut your eyes and trust me. I, I thought you, you surrendered it up. I thought you gave me the cleave and said you were going to trust me. Trusting God is resting in God. So if you say you trust in God, but you ain't resting in God, then you ain't trusting God because trusting is spelled R-E-S-T. It's about your ability to rest in who he says he is and who he, what he's done and who he is in your life. Can you rest and trust in God? Amen? What happened? Did something happen? Did something happen in one of the merry-go-rounds? What happened to it? It turned? Did it fall? Let me see. What happened, Lord? Now, don't y'all tell Brad I came and tore it up. That that's somebody else that did that. All right. See, resting God is a lot like that. You got to be able to rest God in the midst of that distractions. You got to be able to trust God when other stuff is going on. You got to be able to see God moving. I, I can make it preach. Can I make it preach? Can you trust God and rest in God? Now everybody looking at the thing. Stop looking at the thing and look at me. Turn the thing up. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Even, even when things fall, you got to be able to trust God to hold you together. You got to know. Some of you in your life right now, you got stuff falling apart. You need to know even when stuff is falling, your God is faithful. Your God is good. Your God can hold you together. God is good even in the midst of distractions. Even when other stuff go wrong, he says, if you stay with me, if you trust me, I'll guide you. I'll care for you. I'm driving the ship. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I'm feeling good by now. I'm feeling good right now. All right, y'all may need to turn that off, though. Oh, uh, so. <laughs> says, says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if you believe, believe, if you, if you rest in me, if you sit in me, if you trust in me, then you will not perish, 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 perish. Perish is the idea. Perish, perish. It, it, it's bigger than death. It, it's more than that. It, it's bigger than death and going to hell. It, it's bigger than that. Perish, perish is the idea. It's this idea of uh, uh, this, this slow fading away, 
This slow, this slow drift, this, this intentional, methodical drift that, that sin takes you on. It pulls you away from God's purpose. It pulls you away from God's plan. It, it pulls you outside of God's promises for your life. The idea of perishing is when you slowly drift away outside of God's purpose, God's promise, God's plan, until you find yourself completely standing and living in the absence of the presence of God. You find yourself living outside of his promise, outside of his purpose, and Satan will slowly pull you away to where you find yourself literally living outside of the promises looking in. most dangerous thing about perishing is that after a while, you get used to it. Hey, the first 15 seconds, it was a little awkward and freaked out that the speaker wasn't on the stage. But it's crazy how quickly you adjust, how comfortable you get. That's perishing. It's the idea of to slowly pull you outside of the promises of God, to woo you and to try to get you to come into a, into a, into a wonderland, into a, into a circus, into a fair, where it looks like everyone's having fun on the Ferris wheel, but when you get on it, it'll fall apart and it'll drop up under you. <laughs> woo! That was good. Wasn't that good? <laughs> the idea of perishing, friends, is the idea that Satan wants to pull you out. And he wants to lure you. He wants to call you to something that'll never hold you. It'll never sustain you. It'll never satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Satan wants you to perish. And perish doesn't happen one day. Perish happens every day. It's a slow decay. Sin will take you further than you want to go, make you stay longer than you plan to stay, and make you pay what you could not afford to pay. Sin, James says, when it's finished with you, it will leave you for dead. Some of you may be here today and you're perishing. You're spiritually moving in the wrong direction. You're spiritually moving away from the promises of God. And God says, I love you so much. I sent my son for you so that you don't have to perish. You don't have to spiritually go in the wrong direction. You don't have to fade away and live in darkness, but you can have everlasting life, everlasting life, everlasting life, everlasting life. If, if, if perishing is more than just dying and going to hell, then everlasting life is much more than just dying and going to heaven. Everlasting life, if, if perishing is the idea of, 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 of drifting away, then everlasting life is the idea of, here it is, drawing nigh. It's the idea that every day of your life, you, you're drawn to be closer to God, to be more like God. Every day I'm becoming more and more like my heavenly Father. Every day I'm becoming drawn. I am drawn to Him and my life is filled with His peace, His joy, His hope, His love, His purpose, His promises, most of all His presence. I walk in the beauty of His presence. Every day I am drawn to be more and more like my Father. My oldest daughter, my oldest daughter Zoe, you know, you want, and the worst thing you can say to Zoe, the worst thing you can say to Zoe, you can go to her and say, Zoe, girl, 
You look just like your daddy. She had the worst attitude. She's like, first of all, my daddy's a dude. I do not look like a dude. My dad has a beard. I do not look like a dude with a beard. But the girl can't help it. She looked just like me. When she was born, she looked just like me. Uh, uh, Second year birthday, looked even more like me. Third year birthday, she had to get glasses. OMG, SMH, she looked even more like me. Like, I'm starting to get concerned. If her mama's genes don't kick in by the time this girl gets 21, I may not be able to get her married off. Like, this is going to be a problem. She looks, looks more and more like, every year, she looks more and more like her father. That's eternal life. It's the idea of every year, every day, I look more like my heavenly father. Check me out next week, I'll look more like Jesus. Check me out next month. I look more like Jesus because every day he's drawing me. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he's drawing me to him. And every day I'm looking. Check me out next year. Another year, I'm going to look even more like Jesus. Day by day, year by year, month by month, moment by moment, I'm looking more and more like my heavenly father. It's it's not this idea of of me reaching perfection. I'll never reach perfection. It's not about about me being perfect. I like like to say it the way this old preacher says it down in Los Angeles. He says it like this. He says, Albert, when I was in the world, I used to cuss at the drop of a hat. Now that I've been walking with Jesus, I don't cuss that fast anymore. I don't don't cuss that fast. Take you a little longer to get cussed out by me now because God is working on me. That's the idea. God is working on me. Who I used to be, I'm no longer. Who I want to be ain't there yet. God is moving me. He's changing me. He's transforming me. He says, if you believe in me, if you rest in me, if you, if you recline your heart in me, then you don't have to perish. You don't have to fade away to the, to, the, to, to, to the darkness of this world, but you can be drawn to me. You will have everlasting life where you become more and more like your Father because every day you dwell in the presence of your Heavenly Father. Every great gift demands a great response. What's your response? What's your response? John says, if you believe in him, that's the proper response. Believe. The idea of taking your life and reclining it in the one who is qualified to drive your soul, the one who's qualified to handle the keys. What does it mean for you to shut your eyes and trust him with everything and allow him to drive your life. You respond with belief. And I'll add, finally, I believe that you respond with gratitude. Uh, Not just with your lips, but with your life. Um, In the outskirts of Florida, uh, Key Biscayne, Florida, uh, there on the shores, on any given Friday, uh, you'll find a man tossing up shrimp. And after a while, as he's tossing up shrimp, the seagulls flock together and they gather there to feast on the shrimp that he's tossing up. Eddie Rickenbacker is his name, and history will show that Eddie Rickenbacker was a decorated pilot in World War I, and by the time World War II came around, you couldn't hold him back. He wanted to get in, but the generals... You're far too old now, Eddie, but they brought him over to do consulting and just to encourage the generals. And on his way back, his 
plane crashed there in the ocean. With seven other passengers, they gathered together on a raft, and after a few days, they had worked through all of their food as they prepared to eat their, what would be their final morsel of food. Eddie Rickenbacker, being the Christian man that he was, he called the guy's attention, and there they said a prayer. This prayer was their final prayer, their prayer before they would eat their last meal and die. While he was praying, he felt a bird land on his head. And he thought to himself, if this is a seagull, we could grab it, eat it, and have food and have sustenance for us to live. He says a man, he grabs the bird and it is in fact a seagull. He, they, they take the seagull and they eat some of the seagull and they take the entrails of the seagull and they're able to manipulate some concoction to put the seagull on, on a fishing hook and they were able to fish and catch fish with the inside of the seagull. Praise be to God because they would spend another 24 days out at sea with no food outside of the food that they were able to catch with the seagull. As they were rescued, he got back there to Florida. On any given Friday, you could see Eddie Rickenbacker on the shore tossing up shrimp. And as he's tossing up shrimp, Rumor has it, if you get close enough to old Eddie, you could hear Eddie saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because Eddie had the sense enough to know when somebody dies for you, the least you could do is tell them thank you, thank you, thank you. Church, every great gift demands a great response. And I came all the way from Los Angeles, California to tell you that Jesus Christ died for you. He gave his life for you. And you should respond not just with belief, but you should respond with a thank you. Not just with your lips, but with your life. Every day you ought to be caught at the shores of heaven, throwing up praise to the heavenly Father saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Church, you ought to tell God thank you for saving you, for setting you free. Thank you. Thank you. Every great gift demands a great response, and we ought to respond this morning by telling him thank you. Thank you to the King of Kings. Thank you to the Lord of Lords. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for the price that was paid. Thank you. Thank you. If it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, I don't know where I'd be. We ought to thank him this morning for he's worthy. We ought to thank him this morning for he's good. We ought to thank him this morning. Every great gift demands a great response and we ought to respond with thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Would you remain standing? Would you stand up with us? Father, we say thank you. Not just with our lips, but with our life. May our lives declare your glory. Father, you've given the greatest gift that could ever be given in our response today. With our life is a thank you. But also with our life, our response is belief. So if someone is here today, Father, and they're 
they're not fully reclined in you, if they're, if they're perishing, if they're spiritually going the wrong direction, I pray, God, that they come into belief today, that their hearts would recline in the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is not about what we do, but it's about what you have done and our ability to rest in that. So, Father, I invite my brothers and sisters today. There's a prayer team that will be available after service that's eager to pray the prayer of belief. In the cards, in the bulletin, they're prepared a place for us to respond, just to write your name and just say, I I want in. I want to be a part of this family of faith. I want to believe. I want to surrender. Father, I pray that by the Holy Spirit you'd nudge us in obedience to respond accordingly, whether through a card and dropping it in after service or whether coming down and being ministered to by the prayer team. Father, our response today is crystal clear. You've given the greatest gift that could ever be given. Our response is belief. Our response is thank you. Not just with our lips, but with our lives. For your glory, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you, Northridge. Thank you so much.